Welcome to Realty Talk, the show that brings together the country's most authoritative and respected property experts. Follow us on all the socials and subscribe for updates and exclusive offers. Realty Talk is powered by realty.com.au, connecting buyers, sellers and agents differently. Greetings and welcome to Realty Talk, your trusted voice for all things property, which is now proudly a part of the new and expanded Property Hub your home for property investment insights, inspiration and stories from Australia's top property experts, investors, leaders and analysts in collaboration with Apiro Marketing and DM Media, Australia's largest independent podcast network. I'm Bushy Martin from Know How Property Finance and this week we mark and mourn the very sad passing of our long reigning queen who's left a lasting legacy for each and every one of us in ways that are very difficult to put into words. We kick off this week's show by asking if Queensland's new land tax grab will strangle the state's emerging golden goose. Arjun Paliwell from InvestorKid returns to unpack the unforeseen consequences of new land tax changes that are taking place in the Sunshine State. And while there's been much media talk about rising rates impacting on property prices, what's really happening at the coalface? Rusty Vibehav from Get Rare Property Buyers Agents joins us to unpack the facts as opposed to the fear-based fiction. And to close the show, I pay tribute to our lost queen and unpack some very interesting facts about the Crown's surprising property portfolio. But before we get into it, make sure you don't miss another episode of Realty Talk by subscribing to Property Hub on your favourite podcast player, where you'll get two powerful episodes of Realty Talk, as well as the Get Invested podcast, delivered to you each week. And make sure you sign up on the realty.com.au homepage where you'll get a free copy of my award-winning book, Get Invested, for making the effort. We've got a lot of property insights to share, so let's get underway. Hi and welcome. For many years now, there's been a lot of talk about the huge potential of property in Queensland, given its lifestyle attractiveness, that draws migrating homeowners and investors alike. But just when the stage has been set to finally capitalise on all of this latent property potential, the Queensland State Government has introduced land tax reform that may just strangle its own opportunity. So to unpack what the changes are, what impact they're likely to have, and what needs to be done about it, we're joined by Arjun Paliwell, the award-winning founder and head of research at National Data-Driven Buyers Agency, Investikit. So welcome back to Realty Talk, Arjun. Great to always be back on again, my friend, and uh, always enjoy our chats together. So do I, mate. So uh, great subject to dive into now, given uh, what's recently been announced. So uh, to kick things off, can you just summarise what the Queensland land tax changes are and, and perhaps give us an example of what the likely financial impact's going to be? Yeah, it's so the, the best way to break down a simple summary of the land tax changes is that individuals have their own thresholds within the Queensland uh, state. And, uh, you know, with these land tax thresholds, originally it was always about the holdings within Queensland based on who the owner is, whether it's the individual or a trust or a group of individuals, yep. couple usually. Then from there, what now happens is that with this change, they want to bring in the rule of, you know, making it more all-encompassing of, of your property investing all over. So if you're someone who's been investing in New South Wales, perhaps Victoria, 
and you're thinking of opportunities that lie in Queensland for your portfolio's growth, and you now decide to foray into Queensland, properties in New South Wales and Victoria that you have are now being added to the mix when it's being looked at for the impacts of your threshold in Queensland. So it doesn't mean they're all simply added together. It usually means that when they are all added together, what threshold would you have been in if it was a Queensland? And then that percentage rate is used against your holdings in Queensland. So it is a higher hit than what would typically be there, but it's not being charged on everything everywhere at this all-encompassing rate for all assets. It's still aligned back to what you hold in Queensland. Yeah, okay. Well, are you able to give us a bit of an example of perhaps what we would have been paying before and, and what we might be paying now so that uh, we can get a sense of what the, the bottom line impact is? Yeah, so I can give two simple, two examples. One is my own portfolio in a more, more extreme case. Uh, and then one is more uh, in a case actually risen by the um, Queensland government when it comes to their examples and their websites. Yep. Uh, but one they raise is essentially uh, someone who had a property in Victoria, um, just over a million dollars in value. And then they had that more affordable, around half that price in Queensland for value. Yep. Now that was originally you know, somewhat, no tax or just a very little bit of tax, a couple hundred bucks in that Queensland state. But now due to this Victorian investment holding, the highest rate is essentially, or one of the higher ends of the rates are being applied to the Queensland holding because that over $1 million holding there. All of a sudden, someone's gone from paying a couple hundred dollars up to about two to two and a half thousand dollars uh, for the year. So this is no small money uh, Bushi, this is a, a decent amount that does that up. Now, that's the more just your day-to-day -day person could see anywhere between one to $3,000 more uh, with one or two investment properties, which, as you know, represents the, you know, the 90%. So I would say that 90% of investors out there are going to see bills in that sort of one to $3,000 mark yeah. as an increase on the annual basis. But we will move to the 10% group who own two, three, or four um, and in my case, multiple more beyond that, I'm set to see my bill move from almost nothing in Queensland to about fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a year. So, and that's just uh, that's a pretty major jump uh, that uh, people are going to get uncomfortable with. And I, I guess it's important to note that the, the land taxes applies to the the va land value component of a property, not not its total total value but as as we know if you're buying uh you know capital growth properties where land the land components important that generally rep represents somewhere between 60 to 70 percent of the value of the property in any case so yeah uh, so very interesting yeah that's that's uh gonna get pretty uh hairy for it now I guess just to qualify then, is it going to be applying retrospectively to existing landowners or is it only for new purchases do you know from what we're reading so far, it does seem to be that everyone will immediately have that impact. And so that's why many people are considering whether they hold in that state, whether they sell, and considering this a little bit more in line with the rest of their portfolio. I'm firstly, you know, on that note, uh, thinking that we should actually consider just sitting out until that time comes in, only because I could have miscalculated how I'm interpreting my portfolio, only because this is so new. I still have varying entities, whether it be trusts or whether it be individual, whether it be my wife, whether it be joint. So all these things still are a little confusing, even for professional, sophisticated investors 
um, you know, like myself or like others that I work closely with. And yeah. so as a result, I still think it is very much, you know, yes, it's on, but it's also up in the air of, of how we can best treat this after further review. And the interpretation of the legislation is always interesting as well. So uh, it will be interesting to see how it unfolds. Uh, if we if we look at locals in Queensland, uh, how would this land tax affect Queensland property owners? It's a very interesting question. So I think for local property owners, the effect might not be as much only because they might not have forayed into interstate investing if they've got those local options first. Uh, but for those who may be local, then investing elsewhere as well, they might, again, consider their holdings elsewhere to see how that's uh, best place in comparison to what they have in Queensland. What I would say, though, is that um, in Queensland specifically, it, it, it's really going to be different for different groups of buyers. You have your owner occupiers, which actually ties into you know, the next point of renters. Uh, but the journey from renter to owner occupiers may take longer just because prospective Queensland property owners may see themselves paying more rent as these costs are recouped another way. But then you've got the investors in Queensland who, if they're only in Queensland, may not see much of a change. Yeah, good good point. So you touched on uh, rents. Uh, given there is a, a looming and growing rental crisis happening, not just in Queensland, but around the rest of the country. What's your thoughts on the impact that this land tax is going to have on the current rental crisis? Yeah, it's pretty pretty sad to see. Um, in terms of the, the rental crisis right now, there's a lot of low supply all over Queensland. And this was not going to be solved anytime soon. It was already something that structurally needs time for it to alleviate. Yep. And to then see this policy be placed on top of the already very, very strong rental market is going to see things you know, blow up quite a lot. When I say blow up, I mean the extremes of both sides. Rental increases are going to get heavier and heavier as time goes on. Yep. And then when it comes to the impacts of these increases to families, you know, we, we looked at you know, the number of households that have their rental payments at 30% of household income or below. Yep. And uh, that number is shrinking. You know, this this moment right now, it's around that 58% nationally. Yep. Um, we expect that number to shrink, which is a worse sign. The more and more people you have on that number shrinking um, is a higher amount of people who aren't having that one third or below of their income to rent and actually seeing more than one third, you know, of their income. This This does remind me of many parts of Asia where, you know, there are exorbitant rental prices due to very much landlocked smaller islands and they start to make do with high density. And then even what was once affordable high density starts going to extremely expensive dollar per square meter rates. I mean, I know that we are still beautifully spacious in our land and in our you know backyard or Australian dreams and square meterages and houses, but it does take me to many parts of Asia in terms of the, the changes we could see long-term if more and more impacts like this are already placed on a stressed rental market we could see ourselves turn into a very much uh, an expensive uh, rental country amongst global standards, not just uh, the changes we're seeing in Australia. Yeah, I totally agree. It's really starting to smell like uh, a bit of a knee-jerk reaction that that might appear to be adding to the coffers, but uh, it's, there's some unforeseen consequences that are starting to flow through already here. Um, uh, on the flip side of that then, uh, Arjun, what action do you think the state government actually needs to take around this? Yeah, 
you and I are both solution focused people. So I think uh, we love to talk to more about this rather than just the pain points that we're hearing all about out there. I think the first thing here is to acknowledge that this particular tax is not the way. What happens is our whole political landscape has been very much short-term driven. And yeah. so in this short-term drive of taxing the investor and the short-term drive of alleviating you know, potential properties from investors, you know, share of wallet to go to the owner-occupier, that is very much a short-term piece because once that owner-occupier feeds off the knee-jerk reaction many mum and dads will make from their investment portfolios and perhaps sell or not buy, that pool of rental properties gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So the long-term effect is becomes even increasingly harder for them, them being renters to jump onto the buying bandwagon. So what we really need to consider is two components. If this money would have been used towards an extreme you know, increase in social housing, I'm all up for it. Take more from me, take more from you know, other investors and, and see Queensland flourish in supporting the housing that's out there or the needs of housing for rental. But I don't think that's going to be the case. Now, if that could be a case, then that's one definite component. But this can be slow. It can be long-term. I personally think we need to look at rules like we've just seen now, which is a land tax, but even explore it down to more uh, micro rules. To give you some context, there are councils all over Queensland that charge you higher council rates simply because of what type of owner you are. Yeah. You did not deliver me an extra wheelie bin. You did not deliver me any extra services, but just because I registered myself as that type of owner or I'm no longer residing there, all of a sudden I'm charged a different class of you know, council rates. So I feel like a whole audit needs to be through from top levels of state all the way down to micro levels at council to just really remove some of that us versus them on investor versus owner because the us, the investor, needs to be with the the government and be treated as their social housing arm because they're not coming up with the housing. The housing is trending down long-term. So we really need to look at this as a partnership with the government and remove certain red tapes to allow investing to be popular across both new and existing assets. Yep. So then more stock across the, the board can be created where that balance and pool remains. It's not to say that every investor out there should be an you know, buying in Queensland and beating every potential owner-occupier there. But we need to find that sweet spot to create a pool that remains in that sort of, you know, 30 to 45 or 35 to 45% bandwidth that allows renters to continue saving and continue moving into the home buyer, you know, aspect without being penalized like we're seeing now. Yeah, very good insights. And let's just hope that the uh, the other state governments around the country uh, aren't looking at Queensland and and thinking uh, similar thoughts because uh, it could really hamstring the supply of housing generally, given that uh, you know governments got out of housing supply you know, back in the 1970s, and uh, with a a growing uh, gap between supply and and demand, uh, these sorts of added restrictions are only going to make the situation worse. So, look, I really uh, appreciate you sharing these very timely insights, Arjun, and uh, thanks again for your generous time on the show today. Cheers. Thanks, Arjun. Well, it's clear that what might at first appear to be a good solution to boost state government coffers while protecting their local voters, deterring interstate property purchases is likely to have significant unforeseen and ongoing consequences. And if you want to find out more, reach out to Arjun and his team at investorkit.com.au. 
You're watching Realty Talk, your trusted voice for all things property. Successful property investment is a game of finance. Do you have the right team and the right game plan? Realty Talk is brought to you by Know How Property. More than mortgage brokers, Bushy Martin and his team of investment architects set you up with a sustainable strategy structured to lower your costs, tax, risk and stress while increasing your capacity for growth. Know How has helped over 1,900 homeowners and investors secure more than $800 million in property wealth. So get set to live more, work less and live your legacy. Want to know how to invest in your freedom? Visit knowhowproperty.com.au. Greetings and welcome. Now, in recent times, there's been an absolute deluge of disinformation and hysterical headlines on interest rates rising the stratosphere and property prices plunging as a result. Talk abounds of property markets crashing when a property market doesn't actually exist because every property is different from every other one of the 10.8 million properties around the country, as well as softening and falling median house prices, which can also be quite misleading because the devil's in the individual detail when it comes to actual property transactions. So is this media sentiment causing a crisis of confidence with many would-be participants potentially sitting on the scared sidelines or the fear fence like rabbits paralysed by fear as they shake in the spotlight? Now, there's no question that rate rises are biting in to reduce buying capacity, but what's really happening in the property trenches? Well, to gauge this, we're joined by the co-founder of leading national buyers agency, Get Rare Property. And that's Rusty Vibehav. So welcome back to the show, Rusty. Thank you so much, Bushy. It's always a pleasure having Thanks, mate. Well, uh, let's get into it. Uh, what impacts are you actually seeing at the coalface as a result of interest rate movements? Certainly, you know, there's a lot of queries that we're getting as people who have been sitting on the fence or trying to get in the market. They're always getting worried about all the news articles that I've been reading about interest rate rising and the repayments increasing and also people who already have exposure, who, who have actually fixed their interest rates earlier, now when they are actually out of that lock or the fixing of those uh, interest periods, what is going to the impact? And that is certainly making people on the edge about their, the whole thing about not just the interest rate repayments, but also the inflation that we are seeing in the market. Fuel has never been that expensive and so the other things as well. So certainly people are a bit worried. Now, we have to really be mindful of that is actually the interest rates are rising or they're normalizing. A very big question that we really need to be asking ourselves because we have a very short-term memory. When interest rates were declining, it was very much clear from the media, from the RBA, from the governor that they are only declining or reducing for a reason because we were trying to fight out all this COVID and all the I know, economic challenges and we knew that it was never being sustainable. So every announcement of the rate reduction came with the warning that it would increase later on. So it should not really come as a surprise. And that's what we really be, you know, as I said, we investors, we really are mindful of the whole thing. It's not just about cash flow. It's, it's the balance between cash flow and your wealth creation, which comes from capital growth. So combining it all together, it has to be strategic for someone when they are trying to think about their expenses, or you know the growth that you, they are actually capturing in the property market. Again, I go back to the point, 
to me, it's not, not, it's not increasing, it's normalizing, which is actually a great thing for this property market. What we are seeing, you know, the growth that we have seen over the last couple of years, like 30, 35, 40% growth, that's not sustainable. What it has brought is speculators, people who had very little deposit of the margin of error, they were getting the market and they were buying properties left, right, center. And we really need to be mindful of that percentage of people who have actually you know, bitten what they can more than chew. And, and to avoid that thing to happen, like we really need to bring the interest rate back to normal. And to me, that's bringing stability in the long run. Property investing should be considered for the long-term only. It's not for short-term trading. Probably there are better ways of investing if you are looking for a short-term trades, uh, but property investing is not for that. So totally. yeah. long-term investments, very much strong fundamentals. And uh, as we were talking about earlier, that it's time in the market, but and it's, there's not one market in this country. There are markets within the markets. 100% agree. Uh, I mean, interest rates are pretty much the indicator of the hour at the moment that the media likes to keep talking about. Uh, but uh, in terms of your hands-on activity out in the trenches, uh, buying properties for for others, are there, uh, what other influences are affecting property conditions across the country as you see it? Yeah, first of all, I think um, as we were talking about earlier that it's about the borrowing capacity, which is getting challenged, which is getting really very much hammered um, in a way. I mean, we have not really seen much of the price movement other than probably a drop in the premium markets, you know, multi-million dollar properties, which are more driven by not the fundamentals, but rather driven by the ego or, or you know, the catch-up game. Like it's a sentiment driven uh, that can we really buy that property with a, you know, a wonderful view. That was the property which was moving very quickly earlier. And because we had a, such a good run, they've actually overstretched. Other than that market of a premium market, if you talk about an average property, you know, average property in the sense that based on the geography and the location, um, there's not much movement there in terms of, yes, it has stopped rising that hard. And sometimes things are relative. When some markets are going by 30, 35, 40%, um, and then when take a breather, even if it's 5% drop, to me, that's more of a stabilization going parallel rather than dripping. But when we see the market, um, I guess, people, number of people coming to view the property, uh, that suddenly has declined. But so is the case with the number of properties being in the market. So again, it's a supply and demand thing. Like there were more properties being on the, so on the market and more buyers fighting for them. Now there are less great properties and less buyers. So not really much movement at the ground level, when we are talking about the right property. Yeah, what, that, that, yeah, that's the key. Yeah, go on. And sorry, I was also about to add that like people who were worried about the pricing in general, not so much about the interest rate, they were worried about where to catch th this wave, you know, and they were waiting for market to stabilize. And now what they're seeing for the last three, six months is that they are really realizing that this is the time for them to get in the market because they were waiting on the sideline for just too long. Um, but this kind of a buyer is more of a home buyer or, or an investor who still have a capacity to borrow. Um, so there, there's less number, but then we are talking about more homeowner, like a family neighborhood kind of properties, which are very much in demand and there's no breather for them just yet as well. Because yes, interest rates are rising. Lots of people who really look at the balance sheet or the cash flow projections, they're really going for a higher yielding property as in get a get 
but get her sorry get better rents um and um so so it's still dynamics is still going on uh borrowing capacity is the thing which has hammered a lot um by all of these calculations because banks have really changed their serviceability criteria they have still adding three percent of their uh, serviceability buffer while the interest rates are rising and i think government is doing a fantastic job to manage the expectations and yes maybe to some somebody might argue that there was a rate fix for a long time how come it has moved but look this is the dynamics of the market like if overseas interest rates are changing we really need to change so that our exchange currency rate is is manageable yep yep okay so and uh, you're actually dealing with a lot of uh buyers looking for properties across the country at the moment what what feedback you're actually getting from them on uh, current and ongoing rate rises yeah so um so what we are seeing is they are markets whereby which have done very well so far now they are coming a bit off at a slight off because the number of queries they were getting it's more about selling agents managing the expectation of the seller they're still on the same i guess if i take a step back generally selling agent job is to win the listing and they sometimes over promise and that's where the misalignment of the expectations are yeah. when you're buying you know we are not really the old time now it's more realistic time uh, in terms of valuation but the challenge is that they've over promised five percent ten percent higher than the actual value they are the one having difficulties and they are the one who have to manage the expectation and bring it back normal and sometimes when the property is sitting just too long they probably have to sell it for the discount as well yeah. so it's more about the alignment of expectation which is very critical so the markets which have done very well in the past but now they're struggling because the the buyer is not ready to pay because of the i guess the nervousness or anxiety about the interest rate rising and we have not really done with the interest rate hike cycle there might be still few more interest rate hikes so there's a bit of anxiety building up so unless we are compensating for the potential or the expectation of the capital growth it's hard for for the buyer to come on, on to the party um, and pay a bit more um i guess interest rate again looking at the history of interest rates it's still on the lower end by the way exactly that, relatively when we are so much used to the cash rate of being 0.1 for too long and now we are talking about 1.85 might probably still go to you know close to three percent as well so it's all relativity here i think market is taking for last couple of months it was very hard for people to even soak soak it in because there's so much media news out there and you know if you look at the sentiment and and that's where the data doesn't lie because when we talked about covid the consumer confidence index number from westpac research you know it dropped down straight away to you know 65 68 number and bounced back to 70 and yeah. that was if you look at the history of the property market performance someone who has actually taken you know believe in the numbers believe in the fundamentals long term and bought the property then was rewarded for what they have actually done then now if you look at the same index it's tracking close to 71 which is very close to what we saw earlier yeah and it tells me that the consumer consumer confidence has sunk, has dropped so much yeah signifies that it's a buyer's market yeah now seven investors who have cash in their pocket who have borrowing capacity unutilized they are rushing in before that borrowing capacity gets hammered again yep. so now there's a you know there are two factors here one people thinking about anxiety can't really go and buy in 
Whereas the other seven investors were thinking that this is the best time when they can take the best of the borrowing capacity before it gets hammered again. They're yep. not really worried about property market going down because they are believing in the long-term fundamentals. Yes. And they're buying for the long-term. Yep. If you yep. just so go by the monthly, month-to-month data, that's where people remain on sidelines that they will probably always be on the sidelines. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so you, uh, you've touched on, on this a little bit already, but uh, uh, given what's happening in terms of the buying capacity impacts as rates rise, what, what types of property price points and locations are being most affected uh, as you see it? So with regards to consumer confidence, it's more about the luxury, premium, multi-million dollar properties. They have actually come off the chart. And somehow those are the properties which are disbalancing, you know, and making big news in the media because they would talk about that market crashing by 20% because somebody has paid 20% over earlier. Yeah. But when we talk about a normal houses for average Australian, um, I think that's still very steady. Um, yep. And... Uh, it really comes down to like buying within, I guess, the median of the suburb or the region. Uh, that is more of a, I guess, uh, indicative of the affluence or the or the earning capacity. Yeah. Buying in accordance to that, actually, nothing has changed at that ground level. So yeah. someone someone who's paying rent when the inter- the rents have gone so high, they are more having having an inclination of buying and paying for their mortgage, the first home buyer benefits and also the appeal for the first home or the homeowners is still keeping the property market intact. And that's where we as a business, where we are into buying investment properties as well as homes, we are focusing on those properties which appeal to the homeowners more because yes. that's bringing that kind of stability in the market. Yes. Yeah, now very interesting times. Uh given all of that. And that's the old story, you know, good quality properties and good locations at the the sweet spot of affordability will continue to do well. It's probably at both ends of the equation that are most effective, mate. So what, look, I uh, really appreciate uh, you joining us for this really hands-on feedback, Rusty. And thanks again for your time on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rusty. Well, as you can hear, media speculation certainly appears to be creating a a potential crisis of confidence in some areas that can be influencing both buyer and seller uh, behaviour in some pockets. But times like these also create great windows of opportunities for smart buyers because it's never about when you should buy, but where and what. Keep watching Realty Talk, your trusted voice for all things property. Property deductions can save you thousands of dollars each year. To make sure you maximise deductions, you need to work with the most experienced quantity surveyor in the country. BMT Tax Depreciation is the leading specialist in the industry. They've completed over 700,000 tax deduction schedules for residential investment and commercial properties Australia-wide. BMT guarantee to find double your fee in the first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300 728 726 today for an obligation-free quote. Hi and welcome. Now, given the sad passing of Queen Elizabeth on the 8th of September, I felt it fitting to pay a tribute to our lost Queen, who, in ways that many of us don't even realise, has had a profound impact on our lives. And her passing, while not surprising given her 96 years, has still been a shock and has left me with a somewhat surprising, deep and all-pervading sense of loss and sadness that I can't quite explain or adequately put into words. 
In many ways, I feel like I've lost another mother for the second time. What about you? How have you been affected? For me, she was one of those very rare individuals who has touched my life with a sense of genuine care. And even though I never actually met her, I felt like I knew her. Yes, as a child of eight years old, I enjoyed the excitement of traveling to Swan Hill with my family to see her. And my great grandmother who lived until she was 103, received a telegram from the queen when she became a centenarian. But other than that, I've only heard about her. Yet in some strange and tangible way, she's had a subtle, profound influence on my life. Apart from my own parents and grandparents who have now all passed, she's been the only other constant, consistent, stable figure who was always there in the background. In many ways, she's been a steady center amid constant change. She's been the one element in our individual and collective lives that stayed reliably the same. And her fixed reassuring presence is now gone. It's as if she was woven into the cloths of our lives so completely that we stopped seeing her thread long ago. And it wasn't just her presence on our coins, our bank notes and our post boxes. Our respect and admiration for her has been built around her lifetime of self-restraint, her sense of duty and service and her incredible work ethic. She's been the one element in our collective lives that was consistently and reliably the same. As you know, I talk a lot about the enduring qualities of sustainable success, and she was the living epitome of all of them. Despite her position, her evident qualities of selfless humility, patience, persistence, discipline, endless hard work, wisdom, calm, and stability are all bound by her genuine care for all living things. Her ability to stay true and consistent with her values while remaining open and adaptable to change and constant reinvention under the relentless media spotlight have been absolutely remarkable. And while she had no formal power, she commanded it by her presence, her poise and her empathy and understanding of others. To many of the world's leaders, she's become their confidant, their confessor, and their conscience. So in many ways, the Queen has been the silent backdrop to all of our lives. A quiet, stable presence that was always there with us to support us in good times and in bad. A bit like our global mother. And in a strange way, she's allowed us to connect to ourselves at a deeply personal level. We remember not just her many milestones, but how her milestones have actually connected to our lives. In many ways, she marks the end of an era and the end of the way the world has worked up until now. As our Prime Minister so well put it, Her Majesty was a rare and reassuring constant amidst rapid change. Through the noise and tumult of the years, she embodied and exhibited a timeless decency and an enduring calm. So I think the reason that I care so much about her passing is because she genuinely cared about all of us. And it's fair to say that I can count on an amputated hand how many people I truly respect, but without even realizing it until now, she was definitely one of them. And like losing a mother or grandmother, she leaves a gaping hole in their hearts and it's now difficult to imagine a world without her.
So thank you, Queen Elizabeth, for the genuine care that you've demonstrated throughout your time with us, your role model of grace and consistency that you've always demonstrated through thick and thin, and the positive impact you've had on all of our lives by being our silent guiding light. Now, while we're taking a moment to focus on the monarchy's impact on the world, I thought I'd share with you their considerable influence and reach in the world of property, which I've borrowed from Kirsten Craze from News Corp, as well as recent musings in the Australian Property Investor magazine. Because you may not realise that King Charles III inherits an enormous property portfolio from his mother, as the late Queen Elizabeth and the royal family oversees one of the largest and most valuable property portfolios in the world. Their incredible collection that's owned via the Crown Estate, as well as private titles, comprises an extraordinary array of property from extravagant palaces and castles to more humble bed and breakfast cottages that's estimated to be worth around $40 billion. Now, it's important to note that their extensive portfolio is not the monarch's private property and can't be sold at their discretion. However, 25% of the annual profits are given back to the royal family as part of a sovereign grant, which is actually used to fund the family. So from world-famous royal residences enjoyed as museums to lesser-known homes that you can rent out for the night, the list of regal real estate is both long and extensive. As examples, they include Buckingham Palace in London, which has a total of 775 rooms, including 188 staff bedrooms, 92 offices, 78 bathrooms, 52 royal and guest bedrooms, and 19 state rooms, with an estimated value of around $7.35 billion. Then there's Windsor Castle, which sits on 5.2 hectares and has approximately 1,000 rooms, and is considered to be the largest occupied castle in the world with an estimated value of around $850 million. Then they have Balmoral Castle in Scotland, which was Queen Elizabeth's beloved summer home, where she died peacefully. And this sits on 20,234 hectares with about 150, building, uh, 150 buildings and an estimated value of around 95 million. Next, there's Kensington Palace, which is a 547 room palace that is home and office for multiple royals that's valued at around $923 million. Then there's the $1 billion St. James Palace. We can also add Clarence House to the list at a value of about 500 million, which is where the Queen first lived when she got married and where the new King Charles and Camilla has lived since they got married. Next is Sandringham House, worth about $234 million in Norfolk, which is most well known as the meeting place for the royals at Christmas. And it's got about 775 rooms in the palace. It's got 19 state rooms, 52 royal and guest bedrooms, 188 staff bedrooms, and sits on about 7,689 hectares. And of course, there's Hampton Court Palace in London, which was the former seat of the Tudor dynasty, including the infamous King Henry VIII. This historic palace on 24 hectares has 1,390 rooms and has been operating as a museum since 1838, with a current estimated value of about $1.69 billion. Then in Edinburgh, we have the Palace of Holyrood House, which is where the Queen's body actually lay in state, and is the official residence of the monarch in Scotland with a value of around 93 million. 
In Northern Ireland, there's also Hillsborough Castle, which is a 40 hectare property dating back to the late 18th century with an estimated value of more than 135 million. In addition, there's also Regent Street, which is one of Australia's best known thoroughfares that measures 1.3 kilometres of absolutely prime property. And the list goes on with a host of other properties right across the UK. Now, the unique Crown Estate firm also owns forests, agricultural land, retail parks, shopping centres, and more than half of the UK's entire seashore, giving it valuable auction rights for offshore commercial activity. And while it's true that the Royal Family and their investment vehicles don't own property overseas, there's also the not unsmall matter of Crown land. And in this regard, the King will continue to, in strict legal terms, own all the lands of Britain, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and 32 other members of the Commonwealth, including Antarctica. Crown lands include land set aside for various government or public purposes, development, town planning, as well as vacant land. And Crown lands comprise around 23% of all of the land in Australia. Our Torrens Title Land System assumes that there's always one ultimate owner of any parcel of real property. And in the case of Crown land, our Queen and now our new King is that owner. And despite the belief held by many Australian uh, landowners that they own their land absolutely, including anything above or below it, due to the doctrine of tenure, the law in Australia holds that the Crown still has absolute ownership. So while freehold property ownership entitles the owner of the land to own it for perpetuity, it's in essence a type of legal relationship that landholders are granted with the permission of the Crown. So as you can see, the Queen was the penultimate property investor, and now our new King and the Royal Family will continue to have very long tentacles and will continue to be an invisible guiding hand of Australia's property holdings. So circling back to the sadness and sorrow of our lost monarch, one thing is certain. For millions of people around the globe, the death of Queen Elizabeth II will be one of those where were you win moments. She may not have had a significant and obvious impact on our day-to-day -day lives, but in a world of rapid change, Her Majesty was an evergreen guiding constant. Vale, Queen Elizabeth. Now, before I leave you, I just want to reinforce a couple of key points from today's show. Firstly, to avoid Queensland driving a significant number of investors out of the state with negative flow-on effects that are likely to worsen the current rental crisis and potentially drive down property values, the state government needs to repeal its poorly considered land tax changes. Secondly, it's clear that there's a significant difference between what the media is reporting about property prices versus what's actually happening on the ground. Remember that in property, it's never about when to buy because the best time is every time you can afford to, but it's always about what and where. And that brings us to the end of this week's show. Another big thanks to our guests, Arjun Paliwell and Rusty Vibehav, and take a moment to reflect on the impact our lost queen has had on your life because it's greater than you might realise. And to make sure you don't miss another episode of your <clears throat> trusted voice for all things in property, subscribe to Property Hub on your favourite podcast player, where you'll also enjoy the Get Invested podcast delivered to you each week. 
And make sure you sign up on the realty.com.au homepage to get a free copy of my award-winning book, Get Invested. And while you're there, make sure you check out one of Australia's most extensive range of properties for sale from over 7,000 agents nationally, where you'll even find properties that aren't listed anywhere else. Thanks again to realty.com.au, BMT Tax Depreciation, Apiro Marketing and DM Media for their ongoing support. I'm Bushy Martin from Know How Property Finance. Remember to always get invested and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Miss something in this week's show or want to catch up on past shows? Do it anytime at realty.com.au where we connect buyers, sellers and agents differently. 